So good morning, and welcome to Third Street Community Church. I would not rather be anywhere else but here. I hope that somebody else is with me and they feel the same way. Here at Third Street, as you can see on this big old sign behind me, we seek to unite, renew, and restore our community. We seek to unite the people of God together. It does not matter what background you're from. It does not matter the color of your skin, your socioeconomic status, or what you've been through just yesterday. It does not matter. We are here to unite the people of God under the one banner that unites us all. We're here to renew our families. I believe at the root of the brokenness of our city is the brokenness in our own homes, is the brokenness of our families. And so we are dedicated to family renewal and we seek to restore. I don't believe there's anything wrong with, with, with our city. You, you, you can go ahead and tell me all types of things. You talk for anyone who talks to me for longer than 10 seconds knows that I will be quick to verbally, verbally attack you and let you know that this is a beautiful city that this is a wonderful place, and that this church seeks to restore what God sees when he looks at the people of Canton, Ohio. That's the image of Canton that we want to restore. That's the narrative of Canton that we want to restore, and we are absolutely dedicated to that. For those of you who do not know me, my name's Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. And if this is your first time with us or if you've just been checking us out a couple times, I want you to know if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, I want you to at least hear this. You are absolutely welcome to find a home here. You are absolutely welcome here. You're welcome. For the next four weeks, for the next four weeks, what I want to do, it's classic, right? It's, this, is what you, this is classic church. This is what we do in January. We have, we have our four weeks of, of, of our vision, of what we're going to accomplish, not just in 2019, but moving forward in general. So for the next four weeks, I want us to talk about who we are as a church. I want to talk about what we're about as a church. I want to talk about the big things that are coming up in 2019 as a church. I was having a conversation uh, with, my, with my friend Eddie. Many of you know Eddie, um, but I was talking to Eddie a couple weeks ago, and, and I, don't, I, I don't know if he knows that he did this or if he even did this on purpose, but I believe that in that conversation uh, with Eddie, the Lord clearly spoke the prophetic word of our church for this year. One of the things that he said in our conversation is, is Eddie looked at me, and he said, he said, you know, when I come in to Third Street, it's not like anything, any, any other place that I've experienced, not in a long time. He said, when I come into Third Street, what I experience is a people who are hungry. People who are, some people who are physically hungry, but a whole lot of people who are just spiritually hungry, who are just absolutely after satisfaction that is found in Jesus Christ. And so I believe the prophetic word for our church as we move into 2019 is that I want to see us become a church for the hungry. If you are hungry, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, whatever that means to you, if you are hungry, you are welcome here. If you are hungry and you want to know what it is that the Christ that we serve can do, to satisfy your hunger, to satisfy your thirst, to be the taste that you've been longing for your whole life. This is the place to be. And so for this month, we'll be rooted in the Gospel of John, specifically the sixth chapter. 
Because what I want us to do as a church is I want us to learn about who Jesus is. Who Jesus specifically reveals himself to be in John chapter 6. Because I believe that that absolutely informs who we are going to be. So if you would, and you have your physical Bibles with you, please join me in the Gospel of John. The Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Where we are at is in the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the Gospels. It goes the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the fourth book of the New Testament is the Gospel according to John. We're going to flip there. I need you to go to the sixth chapter in your Bibles. That's the big number six, and we're going to start at the top, and we're going to work our way through for the next four weeks. So if you have your physical Bibles with you, go ahead and do that. If not, it'll be right up here on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and begin our time together by reading the first four verses. The gospel reads this. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. Verse 4 says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. We're going to stop right there. So, allow John to set the scene for us. Jesus is out here doing some cool things. He's out here doing, doing things that people have not physically seen probably ever. He's not quite brand new. Right? Jesus has been at this for a little bit of time now. He's not quite brand new to the scene, but he's, he's absolutely starting to gain some clout. People are starting to notice that wherever that dude goes, lives are changed and people follow. And that's wild. And so let me come and check him out. So everywhere Jesus goes, and they didn't have Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You couldn't check in on Facebook. You couldn't at somebody on Instagram. You couldn't just share your location. Things spread word of mouth. That's how absolutely insane the things that Jesus was doing absolutely was. Is that everybody had to talk about it. And by the thousands. Do you know how crazy something has to be for thousands of people to hear about it just from the person next to him? Not like on any form of social media. Can you even imagine how fast word had to have spread? Thousands of people come out to wherever he's at. And Jesus decides to stop over and catch some rest on a hillside and talk to his boys. Verse 4 says it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Passover, just so we all know, is when Jews would look back on their time in slavery. They would look back on their time in slavery and they would remember how the prophet Moses delivered them. And so Passover was the time where they would gather, they would eat together, they would celebrate. The fact that God once upon a time had delivered them through the prophet Moses from slavery. And now, so they were extra heightened to that because of the time of year. And now they were looking for a new prophet. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were absolutely after a new prophet. Because Jews had fallen on hard times. Their nation wasn't quite as glorious. It had lost a little bit of luster and they found themselves under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they were eagerly looking for another prophet to come get them. They 
were looking for another prophet to come soon and deliver them, they recognized that their nation is not what it was once was or not what it was meant to be. They recognized that they were not as put together as they once were. And Jews believed that God was going to come because scriptures in the Old Testament tell us that God would come and deliver them. They believed that God was going to send a prophet to come and make their nation great again. So because of that, some Jews had a little bit of stank about them. Because they believed that so heavily, because they were so zealous about that, they had a little bit of, some of them had a little bit of stank about them. They didn't associate with outsiders because the scriptures say that God was coming for the people of Israel. He wasn't coming for the people of over there. So I'm not going to associate with them. There were laws against mixing. There were laws against letting outsiders into your family. There were laws against being, being mixed with another culture, another person. And they were absolutely closed off to that because my God says he's going to save me. They were ultra religious. They were mega pious and they were extra harsh if you sinned against the law. They were quick to throw some rocks at you and let you die. But I believe they did it. I would like to choose to believe they did it not out of the hate in their hearts but because they were hangry. For those who aren't tracking or don't have kids, that's hungry and angry put together. They were hungry to be restored. They recognized what they were not. They recognized the depths of their true brokenness, and they were hungry to be restored. For those of you who aren't quite tracking with me, let me make it plain. Sometimes when we recognize the true depths of our brokenness, the brokenness of our country, the brokenness of our education system, the brokenness of our neighborhoods, our households, and our own lives, sometimes when we recognize those things, we begin to look eagerly for someone or something to get behind because we perceive that 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 can save us. That's why we get behind some of the wild stuff that we get behind. That's why we get behind some of these athletes. Because we believe that some of these athletes, the things that they say or the things that they do is somehow going to erase the pain of our lives or the brokenness of our situations. That's why we get behind some of these authors. Oh my goodness, he just said it that way. Or oh my goodness, she, she hit the nail on the head. I am absolutely a follower of that author. We get behind pastors because they say things to tickle our ears and it makes us feel good for an hour on Sunday. And so we get behind that because that's when I feel the best. Or we get behind these politicians who have catchy slogans and, and they feel things that we've always thought. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to follow them like zealots and, and, and absolutely get behind this. Or we get behind a child who exhibits particular gifts. And so we look at that child, not as a child for us to raise, but we look at the child as our ticket out of our situation. And so we get behind their whole life before they've even started it. It's because we're hungry. We're hungry to be saved. We want so badly to be restored. We have been starving for so long. And as a people all together, we have not quite figured out how to quench it. We're hungry 
So what's happening in this text is people are hungry. And they see something miraculous happening. And so fortunately for them, they correctly choose this time to go follow that person and find out what it is. And what I love so much is that we're about to get into what happens when we hungrily follow Jesus. Let's pick up this reading. Verse 5. That's just the intro. We're only getting started today. Verse 5 says, Jesus soon saw this huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he's like, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? See, but he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. So Philip replies, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for this huge crowd? Verse 10, Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slope. The men alone numbered 5,000, which means there was way more thousands than just that. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So Jesus Jesus notices this huge crowd surrounding him where they're sitting. Text says 5K, but it also says that they only counted the men. So you know it's like closer to like over 15. It's insane. Mm. Y'all just watch that. Jesus has been talking for a long time. It's late. The people are hungry. So Jesus is like, yo, they're super hungry. We should probably feed them. So he looks at Philip. He's like, Philip, what are we going to do, man? What stores are open? Who can, uh, who, can, who, can, who can feed all these people? And he already knew, right? He already knew. So Philip answers, appreciate you. <laughs> I'm just going to keep this right here. <laughs> so Philip scales the crowd. Okay, I see, you know, about, yep, that's what I thought, about 5,000 men. Not including women and children. Uh, so he offers a logical response. He sees a ton of people. Nobody makes that kind of money to feed that many people. So he's like, well, Jesus, uh, unless you got a wild banking account that we don't know about, I don't know who's going to pay for the tab to feed all these people. There's no way we can afford it. Logical answer, Philip, but wrong answer, Philip. Sometimes we need to not try and answer the question. Sometimes we just need to merely realize who just asked it. The correct action was not to survey the land and make an astute analysis, but to realize who you're sitting next to. The correct answer would have been, IDK, Jesus, what would you have me do? That was the right answer. So let's try again. This time Andrew speaks up. He's like, oh, 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 Jesus, Jesus. There's a, there's a boy here, a little boy, little, little, just a little guy. 
Uh, he's got five barley loaves. Barley's, it's kind of gross bread. It's like, it's like for poor people. I don't really know why he's got barley loaves. But he's got five barley loaves and he's got, you know, these two tiny little fish. But you know what? Now that I've gone ahead and opened my mouth, I realize ah, that's probably not helpful. What good could that possibly be for this huge crowd? Wrong again, boys. Sometimes we look around at what we and those around us have to offer, and we immediately write off what God can do in a situation. We immediately assume that the resources are not there, rather than once again realizing who we're sitting next to. The right answer would be to recognize that Jesus is going to reward and use the faith of the little boy who steps up and gives everything he has. So then Jesus takes the food. He takes the faithful offering of a little child. And he blesses it. He says, God, thank you for these barley loaves. He doesn't judge the barley loaves. He doesn't look down at the size of the fish. And he doesn't do what I would have done and turn around and rebuke the disciples for completely missing that part. He thanks God for what was given. He breaks it. And then he does something Wild. He performs this beautiful miracle where with his hands he multiplies the bread to the point that every person had more than enough. There were to-go boxes at the end. But he multiplied it with his own hands and then he handed it back to his disciples to distribute to his people. See, we are not capable But what Jesus does is he takes what little we have, he does a miracle, and then he distributes it to those who need it through those who are following him closely. And everyone who came to see Jesus that day ate as much as they wanted. They wanted. Jesus, when we give what we have, is faithful to give abundantly out of that. Jesus, when we give what we have, is faithful to not only give the whole people everything that they need, but he's faithful to use you to do it. All who come to Jesus hungry are fed. And then verse 14, this weird thing happens. Verse 14 says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Let me take a pause real quick. All right, back, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Enter. Don't forget to hit enter, Courtney. All right. <laughs> so when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they're like, surely this is the guy. This is the guy we've been waiting for. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slips away to the hills. Isn't that so weird? So a long time ago, before this happened, Moses promised the people there would be a prophet like him 
to come up from among them to deliver them. These people heard about Moses provide food in the wilderness, and then they just watched Jesus provide food in the wilderness. So they link the two, and they're like, oh, this is the guy. And so they decide, I really want this guy to be king now. That makes sense, right? And didn't Jesus come to, like, be king or something like that? So then why, when they were ready to make him their king, does he slip away? Slides out the back door. Because the people had gotten overzealous. Seeing that he had fed them, they wanted to make him their literal political king. They wanted to take the miracle that he had just done. They wanted to spin it the way that they wanted to spin it. And they wanted to fit it in their agenda. The Jews had their agenda. Some of it political. Some of it social. But they wanted Jesus to fit that agenda. And that's not the type of king that Jesus came to be. What some in the crowd believed is that this prophet, what was meant by them being freed by this prophet is that they would be freed by Roman oppression. So this must be the guy that's going to be the political king to free us from Roman oppression. They wanted to force Jesus to fit their agenda, even though what Jesus, the agenda Jesus came for was so much bigger. He was not coming to free them from political oppression. He was coming to free them from the oppression of sin and death. They wanted him to fit their agenda rather than following him to find out God's agenda. When God proves his faithfulness to us, we tend to get carried away, don't we? We try and we we try and make him what we want him to be. We try and make Jesus whoever, whatever truth it is, is it for us? Whatever we need him to be for us. Whatever agenda we need him to fill. Rather than focusing on who God promised Christ to be. Oh, he did this for me, so, so he must be the person who's going to come and do this. Or he must be the person who's going to come and do that. And this door seems to be wide open, so this must be where God is leading. This must be what God wants to do because this is what makes sense to my life. Rather than going deeper into knowing who he is, getting into the character of who he is to find out about God, to find out about God's agenda. What's expected of us is for us to follow him with the intent of learning about his character. Because his character is a reflection of the one who sent him. So let me, let me put this as plainly as I can. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the salvation that we've all been hungry for. If there is an area of our lives that is lacking, if there is a deep-rooted emptiness that we have, 
Jesus is that answer. And that can look all kinds of different ways. But there's no way you can change you, when you boil it all down to the very root. Jesus is that answer. Jesus is faithful to do big things when we give him what little we have. I don't care if you got a lot of money, some money, no money, or money is just funny. You don't have anything in comparison to what Jesus has. I don't care what resourceful grizzly bear you have fueling your business behind you. It's nothing compared to what Jesus has. And when we are faithful to give up what we have, he is faithful to do something bigger than what we're even thinking of in the moment. Jesus feeds all who come to him. What Jesus did not do on the side of that mountain that day was send out applications to the crowd. Inquire about their income level. Ask their gender, their race, their age, what their education background is. He didn't ask any of those questions. He didn't put qualifiers on him breaking this bread. He just broke it. Jesus looked at a people and didn't see a people black, white, blue, green, or orange. He saw a people hungry, and so he fed them. He saw people whose stomachs were starting to bother them, and they were starting to see a little blurry, and they couldn't quite concentrate anymore, so he decided to love them by meeting their need. And not just the Jews either. Jesus feeds all who come to him. And Jesus finally is not who the people demand him to be. But he is who the Father wants him to be. Jesus is not who the people demand him to be. He is who the Father wants him to be. Now, normally, this is where I would give some savvy application. But... I don't really feel like in this moment that's my job. I believe as far as how this pertains to you, I believe that it's the Holy Spirit's job to tell you what to do with the table that Jesus has set. This is who Jesus is. I just laid out four of the many facts. This is who Jesus is. What that means to you is between you and the Holy Spirit to determine. But what I want to do instead right now is I want to tell you what type of church we're going to be because of who Jesus is. We're going to be a church that holds tight to Christ as the head of this church. Because as many dreams as we have, and y'all know, we got some dreamers in this room. My boy Nate's got an idea. He's already had eight ideas since I started talking. Did I underestimate? Is it ten? Is it more? It's nine. It's nine. Amen. We got some dreamers. We've got some of you in this room graduated from college a couple years ago or a year ago, and you chose to stay in Canton because of dreams that you have for this city. Some of you 
have gone through this city since the day you were born. So you know the ins and outs of every system and every breakdown of this city. And you've got big ideas and big dreams for this city. And we want to hear all of them. But what is clear to me when I read this text is that as many ideas as we have, as many dreams as we have, Jesus's are bigger. Jesus's are better. Jesus's make way more sense. And so we are going to be a church that holds tight to Christ as the head of this church, not our dreams and ideas. We're going to be a church that feeds everyone who comes into our building. We're going to be a church that every time our doors are open for some sort of whatever, there's food there. Because we're hungry. And I'm a firm believer. I spent, I spent several years in Canton City Schools. I'm a firm believer, and you can't teach anybody anything if they're hungry. Amen. Talk about it. And that's, and that's tough because right now, just to keep it all the way real with you, for our middle school, high school, adult programming, all this kind of stuff that happens during the weeks, we don't have every volunteer slot filled. We don't have every, every, every meal provided for right now. I don't know how we're going to do it. But this is who Jesus is. This is who he's asked us to be. So we're not going to stop. On a, on a for free side note, if you want to provide a meal, come talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you the slots that are open. Actually, Courtney will tell you the slots that are open. She actually knows the schedule. I just pretend to. But that's for free. We're going to keep going. We're going to be a church that will not conform to what anyone demands or expects us to be. I hear a lot of people say a lot of things about what they expect from Third Street. I hear a lot of people say a lot of things about what they expect from me as a pastor. And as much as I desperately love each and every one of you, and as much as I desperately want to be everything to everybody, what we are not going to get into is the business of making people happy. Because that's when churches die, by the way. But what we will be, because I said I'm talking about what we are, not what we aren't, what we will be, Faithfully through prayer and wise counsel is who God wants us to be. And finally, just as Jesus is faithful to do big things when we give him what little we have, we as Third Street will be faithful to do big things in this community when our people are faithful to give what we have. There's a lot of resources in this room. And I'm, I'm not just talking about money, I promise, but that is a resource. There's a lot of resources in this room. When I look at this room, I see rich people. I see some of you who do have a lot of money. I see some of you who do have a lot of gifts. I see some of you who have a whole lot of contacts and a whole lot of connections. I see some of you that just want to get your hands dirty. And what I'm here to relate to you because of who Jesus is, is that we're going to be faithful. That as long as we put all of those resources to good use, we are going to do big, big, big things in this community. I promise you. But this is who we as a church are going to be. Not because it's our vision, but because of who Jesus is. Because who Jesus expects us to be. I encourage you in this time as we move into a time of response to ask the Holy Spirit the implications on, of that for you. What does that mean for you? What is God asking or shifting or expecting of you?
Let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us in this time. Let's go ahead and pray.